No, I'll put it on the ground. Yeah, we're good. Are we ready? Yep. Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, Patrick and also, do you want a uh, public service announcement? Do you want to make sure that the door up there is in the to duck? Okay. How's everybody? Oh, great. It's good to see you all. Um, we are working on, so I don't know about what your life is like, but I'm like, I'm one of those people who's always last minute kind of person. So don't judge me. Um, we're going to be really working on getting things just, so a lot of things open earlier. We're just, this year's a weird year and we're getting settled. Um, if you're ever interested, we always need, and those of you online, those of you here tonight, if any of you are interested in helping us out a little bit, we always need help. On Wednesday nights, we're scrambling. So if anybody would be interested in just kind of being here and like helping us welcome people, make sure things are out, if you would talk to Stephanie over there, um, that would just be helpful for us. So no pressure, but if you're interested, that would be a great help. Okay. Should we pray? All right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, tonight we just quiet our hearts and our minds. Uh, and Jesus, we thank you for uh, the gift of life, uh, for the gift of breath. <clears throat> and Lord, whatever happened for each of us today, I know, uh, Lord, I had a full day, a stressful day. Uh, and Jesus, I give that to you. Um, I help, ask that you help everyone here to just surrender whatever's going on in their life, to leave that at home tonight, uh, that we might enter into uh, the mystery of the divine, uh, that we might uh, truly be present here. Uh, bless all those here tonight. Bless those who can't be here. Uh, and draw us close to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so welcome everybody. So we're going to um, hopefully keep pushing the needle a little bit forward, um, bit by bit. What I'd like to do, hopefully, uh, as a teacher, is review what we did last time, um, kind of do a little bit of overlap, and then move the needle forward. If you ever feel like, okay, Father Brian, like, where the heck are we? Please don't be bashful. Um, you'll get comfortable with me as time passes. Um, so a couple of review items. So the first thing is, as we go through RCIA, can anybody tell me what RCIA stands for who's not Catholic? Anybody who's not Catholic, can anybody know what RCIA stands for? Luckily, you can't answer. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Good. Yeah, right? It's right of Christian initiation of adults. Very good. And we use that name because we want to just confuse you and make it difficult. So I'm just kidding. That's kind of funny. Um, so as we go through, you'll hear me use that, RCIA. That's just our class. Um, there are two kind of paradigms that I like to use. Um, first one we talked about is there's three questions. 
Does anybody remember? If you're going to be Catholic, there's probably about a billion questions you have. But there's three really big ones. Right? Remember we use the analogy of like, if you're going to marry someone, you're not going to know every little thing about them. But the big things you'd better know. And you can work through the other things as time passes. So does anybody remember what's the first big question you have to say yes to if you're going to be Catholic? Does God exist? Does God exist? Right, and that's where we're at right now. We're going to talk about that tonight. God's existence. What's the second question you've got to answer? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? And number three. Good. No notes. You can't look at your notes. Cheating. Um, that's right. So did Jesus... Um, how do you spell Jesus? It's really not did he start Catholicism. It's did he give authority to the Catholic Church? That's a lot more than right. So... Um, those are the bigger questions. There's other questions. We're going to talk about, can we trust the Bible? That's probably a big question for a lot of you out there. Um, there's always the question about morality. We're going to get to all of those. But what I want you to do, if you want to take this seriously, Christianity does not start with morality. And I will show you, it does not start with the Bible. That's not how it started. They're good questions, and again, we will talk about that. And we'll talk about those things in detail. But these are, these are the big three. And if you can say yes to that, if you, if you believe Jesus is God, right? Like, I had, I had a meeting today with someone, and um, I was talking to this woman today, and we got a little bit on this. And one of the things I, you'll see sometimes with Christians is they don't always thoroughly think through this. <clears throat> Sometimes you'll hear Christians and they'll say, you know, Father Brian, I, do, I think Jesus is God. I just think he's wrong about four things. And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't really do that. But I'm like, I don't think you know what that word means. If you think Jesus is God, that has consequences. Right? Um, you might say, okay, Jesus... I really believe you're God. I really don't understand why you say this. That, to me, makes a lot of sense. Um, but to say, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're God. I think you are. And when, when Christians use the word God, we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight. When we use the word God, and not just Christians, but really any serious thinker about this kind of topic, when we say the word God, we don't mean someone like you and me that has more power and more knowledge than us. That's not what we mean. We mean a being that does not live within the bounds of space and time. And who is, if you want to say him, her, it, whatever you want to say, but that that being doesn't say true things, that being is truth itself. It's the author of all the conditions of what we think of as truth. Um, and much more than that. So anyway, 
I don't know how I got on that. Okay, so that's the first, those are, those, that's one paradigm I like to use. Another one, another roadmap that might help you as we go through our time together, yes? Uh, I'd like you to expand on something, because it, it's to me almost impossible mm -hmm. to comprehend. You said God is not within space or time. Mm -hmm. I cannot picture something not having a place in yep. space or time. Very good. That's an excellent question. So I can't picture, if you didn't hear that, how can you picture God not being within space or time? Right? Um, excellent question. So um, what I would push at is, like, you're not going to. But think of it this way. So space is a first kind of, both of these can work the same way. So if you say, if I say, okay, guys, God does not exist within space. Here's one way to help start thinking about this is that astrophysicists will tell you that the universe is expanding, right? Now, when you hear the universe is expanding, what the, the question my mind jumps to is, what is it expanding into? Have you ever wondered that? One of the rules in class is this means yes, this means no, this is unacceptable, which is what I tell my third graders. Or you can just stare at me. And if you just stare at me, I feel awkward and uncomfortable. So be nice to me and tell me yes or no, or at least shake your head in a circle. Um, our minds struggle to comprehend these categories. There's a certain level that we just assume them. And time is the same way, right? So if we think of time, Right? We think of um, the, the earliest event that we kind of can conceive of right now. It's possible that scientists or philosophers or whoever could come up with something outside of this. But <clears throat> the first thing we think of is the Big Bang. Right? That in some sense, time began with the Big Bang. And that might be true. It might be false. But to the... To my knowledge, the best of our knowledge right now kind of says that's, that's our best working knowledge. But what do you naturally think with the Big Bang? What happened beforehand? So these are mysterious concepts. So time, philosophically, what time is, is time is measured by change. So you know in like your favorite movie, that I don't know, maybe not your favorite movie, but in movies, when, when someone can like go back in time, or if time stops, what happens when time stops in a movie? Everything freezes. Everything freezes, right? Um, whenever you watch a movie and time stops, everything freezes. And the reason for that is because time is a measure of change. Um, and what, what serious thinkers about God believe is that God stands, and, and I can't fully describe this, um, to get a, a little bit more serious of an answer to this, we would need a semester in metaphysics, which is kind of our topic tonight. Um, but Christians believe something like, if time is here, what eternity means is something that doesn't change. And it's something that stands outside of time. 
Um, now that is, and I'll just cede your point, because it's a very good point. It's very hard for us to understand it, but just because we don't understand something doesn't mean, even though we can't fully wrap our minds around it, it doesn't mean that there's not very good reasons for believing it. So one, one off the top of my head, one example, an analogy, it's going to limp, it's not a really great analogy, but it's off the top of my head. <clears throat> one of the things that like, I think is something that can help us a little bit, and I'm not a scientist, um, so there, here's my caveat, here's my little, you know, whatever, fine print. Um, physicists, right, when they talk about light, is anybody a physicist in here, by the way? Yes, <laughs> somebody's not admitting it. When they talk about light, light, in some ways, physicists describe light as a wave, and in some ways as a particle. And it's, it's actually hard for them to understand how it can be both of those things. And there's something like that when we talk about God. And tonight, I, and so come back at me with this, because tonight what we want to do is I want to point you to, to a reason why <clears throat> it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. Right? It's hard for me to wrap my mind around what happened before the first moment of time. But what I want to show you is that if you don't believe that, you're going to end up saying some very unintelligent things. And you're going to end up in a world that is really absurd if you're logically consistent. Okay, other, other questions? That's a really good question. Yeah? So if you talk about your first rule in that three, mm -hmm. God's existence, yes. and how God doesn't exist in space and time, right? but then Jesus is God, yep. existed in space and time on this earth. Yep. It seems contradictory. Awesome question. So you said, um, it sounds contradictory because Father Brian, you just said God doesn't exist in space or time, but we believe Jesus did exist in space and time. And isn't that a contradiction? Yes, it is. And so it's good. Thank you for pointing that out. What I'm saying here is that <clears throat> serious thinkers about God, we're going to get to the life of Christ and his entrance into space and time. But what I guess I'm trying to say here, it's a good distinction, is that God in and of himself, whatever that means, and there's probably a caveat I should make there, um, what we believe is that in his own nature, God does not exist within time, but he chose to. And so the analogy for this we use, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, but there's a really helpful analogy for this. Um, and actually, we didn't use it because I haven't developed it all the way. So I think last week we, and we'll talk about this, what happens is oftentimes in the modern world, the way the debate goes, and this is a perfect segue to my first point tonight, so good. Um, we look for God in the natural world. And we've grown in our knowledge of the natural world to a tremendous degree. An amazing degree. Um, and so, what happens is, and this is going to be a, a caricature, so if, if I'm overdoing that, please push back at me. You're, you're welcome to do that. Um, but we look and we say, okay, we looked all through the universe and we haven't found God. And the analogy is this, the one we used last time was looking for God inside of this universe is like looking for Shakespeare inside of Hamlet. Right? Are you... Just raise your hand if you need a handout. Yeah. 
And for you on the internet, we're handing out handouts. Um, okay, now what happens when you have a handout is you're all going to ignore me and look at the handout. Don't do that. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> but that handout, by the way, is going to go through a more specific, detailed argument for God's existence that is loosely based on Aristotle and his proof of what's called the unmoved mover. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit tonight, but not too in detail. Um, so looking for God inside the universe is like looking for Shakespeare inside of Hamlet, is the analogy. So if you read Hamlet and someone says, where the heck is Shakespeare? I didn't find him anywhere. You'll never find Shakespeare as a character inside of Hamlet. In a certain sense, you'll find Shakespeare on every page of Hamlet. Because he, there's something about him that's on every page because he's the author. But the analogy would be this. And so when we talk about God not existing in space and time, we mean it in that way. That God is the author of reality in the way Shakespeare is the author of Hamlet. He stands outside of that work. He is the one who brings it into existence. And we're going to talk tonight about how he holds it in existence. Shakespeare doesn't do that, right? The play Hamlet exists long after Shakespeare dies. But that's jumping ahead. But what if, and here's the analogy, every once in a while you'll hear an author do this. There are certain authors who will write themselves as a character into one of their plays or their books. Um, and it's, it's a weird thing. And, it's, and again, this is an analogy. It's not the same thing. Analogies say something true, and they say something that's not totally true in order to explain something. But if I wrote a book, and I wrote myself into the, into the book, you know, I don't know, in whatever way. You guys ever see Hitchcock movies? Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock. If you haven't seen him, you need to watch Hitchcock movies. They're so good. Hitchcock always made cameos in all of his movies. And Christianity, of course, believes that there's much more than a cameo with God, that, that he's going to enter into time to, to redeem it. But anyway, that's, that's the analogy. So when we talk about God existing here, we're not yet talking about Jesus becoming a human being. Does that kind of answer that? We will get to that, I promise. That's coming, but we're just not there yet. Okay, so we'll do more questions tonight, but let's, let's keep moving. So in our, does anybody know what happened in October of 1957? Big, biggest event in October 1957. And hopefully I got the year right. I think I did. I think it was 57. October of 1957, uh, the Russians launched something called Sputnik. And I write it on the board because it gives me authority and power. Um, so the Russians launched Sputnik in October of 1957. And it's very interesting is they, um, if you know anything about communism, Communism is a philosophy, and at its core, communism is atheistic. It is necessarily atheistic. We're not going to go into that very much, but it is. Um, and so what happened is they launched Sputnik, and <clears throat> what they did is the next day, after they had launched that satellite, uh, the next day, all the Russian newspapers published headlines 
that they had not found God when they launched Sputnik. This is not, I'm not making this up, this is true. So all these newspapers came out from Russia the next day and they said, hey, we launched our satellite. Guess what? We didn't hit God. And C.S. Lewis wrote an essay in response to that. Um, he wrote an essay called The Seen Eye. It's a great little essay. You can look it up. Like It's in certain books that have compilations of his writings. But Lewis says the thing that we should all say. As he says, the weird thing would not be that the Russians didn't discover God in space. The weird thing would be if they did. Right? If, if, if the Russians launch Sputnik and they're like, oh my gosh, there's this crazy substance up here. It's God. And Lewis wrote this essay on why that is. And this cuts to the heart of what I want to get to tonight. We, you and I live after the scientific revolution. And what we tend to think is we tend to think all things have to be answerable to the scientific method. And the first point I want to make tonight is that science is profoundly good. And one of the reasons I am a Catholic is because you can be a Catholic and you can believe 100% in science. And I do believe 100% in science. The Catholic Church has never had a problem with any scientific findings. The cat, I mean, well, that's not true, right? Copernicus. We could get to that if you want to. But in principle, the church has no problem with science. We don't see a contradiction between faith and science at all. Um, the question is, are you using the right method to answer the question? So an easy example would be if someone asked me, say, Father Brian, what's your favorite color? And I say six. Right, that's category mistake. Right, six is not a color. Um, <clears throat> there are certain things in life that you can answer with science, and there's a lot of things you can answer really well with science. There's certain things you can't. <clears throat> and so the, the, the real first point tonight is that what Lewis is getting at in that essay when he wrote that is that the, the Russians, when they said, we didn't find God in outer space, is they're making a category mistake. So if someone said, if I came to you and I said, hey, um, we're going to look at a Rembrandt painting. We're going to look at the storm on the Sea of Galilee, which Rembrandt, if you don't know, this is kind of a cool story. Rembrandt painted that, I think he was 21 years old when he painted it. It's one of the most impressive works of art in all of history. It was stolen from the Boston Art Museum. Uh, it's the most expensive piece of art that has ever been stolen. Um, but it's actually, that doesn't really matter. That always sounds cool. It's, it's strikingly beautiful. And if one night I'll actually bring it in, I have a copy, not the real one. And, and, it's, and I'll, I'll show you what Rembrandt's doing in that painting. It's profoundly beautiful. But anyway, imagine if I said, you know, if I came up to one of you and I said, all right, hey, um, Nicole, isn't that painting beautiful? She says, yes, Father Brian, that's so beautiful. And I said, well, how do you know? He said, well, you know what, FB, here's how I know. I took a paint sample from the canvas, I scratched it off, 
we ran a pH test and we found, I don't even know if this applies, the pH of the paint in this part of the painting versus this paint in this part of the painting, blah, 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 blah. You'd be like, category mistake, right? Science can has a validity in lots of areas, but science can't tell you the painting is beautiful. Science, by the way, also, we'll get to this, science can't tell you if something's moral or immoral. It can't do that. Science is about the observable world. Serious thinkers about God believe by definition that God does not live inside of things. And so looking for God in space or by putting things under a microscope is like looking for Shakespeare inside of Hamlet. Now here's another, here's another thing. Here's how, why do serious thinkers believe God exists? Some don't, of course. Plenty don't. But why do some of the smartest people in all of history, and, and what I want to argue tonight is an argument. It's not a full, um, you're not going to walk out tonight and say, oh my gosh, like Father Brian, like, I figured it out, and now I have to be a priest. I hope a couple of you do that, because I need help. <laughs> um, but let's, let's do two things, and I'm going to lose my track of my thoughts. So um, I'm just going to make that note for myself. So I made that note for myself, but, but Lewis in his article, The Seeing Eye, what he says is he says, okay, even if we could prove God's existence the way we can prove, you know, that... Um, there's this many protons and neutrons and whatever atom, you know? If we could prove it that way, Lewis says in that essay, and I love the way he says this, he says, why do we think that God would be interested in us believing in him? Because of that. If that were the case, belief in God would have much more to do with intelligence than it does with being a human being. And I'll give you that real quote. I didn't print tonight, but I, I will give you that real quote. But think about that, right? Like, what I'm going to show you, and what I, want to, what I want to convince you of, is that Christianity and belief in God's existence is more certain than 2 and 2 is 4. It is more certain than that. And, and I, I'll probably do a poor job of this, but we can come back next week and we'll hit it again. It is more certain than that. But God doesn't just want you to be smart. He wants you. And people who become intellectual converts, usually what happens with most people is, I don't know why you're here tonight. I don't know why you're here. For most people, we're just complex. I am a complex being, and I have all kinds of different things going on inside of me. For whatever reason, most people don't say, I thought really, really hard about it. And I concluded that God is real, and I'm going to be a priest. Right? Most people don't do that. What happens for most people is we pretend that we live up here, and every decision we make is this, I was really logical, I thought through it, and this is where I gave myself. What happens for most of us is our hearts are a little tricky. 
and we have desires and hopes and fears and hurt feelings and all kinds of things, and we're like, I really, really want this to be true. So I want to show you this, the way most people become Catholic is God does something to their heart they never thought could happen. And it opens them all of a sudden in a way they were never open before. Right? There, there's people I can give the best arguments for God's existence, maybe not me. This guy can. This is a guy I'm going to talk to you tonight. All of your quotes are from him. This is a guy named Ed Fazer, Five Proofs of the Existence of God. Um, and The Last Superstition, another book he wrote. This guy is like 10 billion times smarter than me. Um, but most people don't pick up a book like this and they're like, <laughs> priesthood it is. <laughs> like, they don't do that. And I just, I just want to say that. So what, what Lewis says is that God's after all of you. You have a mind and that matters. And I want to show you that the church's teaching can stand up against very rigorous intellectual scrutiny. Enough that, that I would argue that the smartest people in history have said this has to be it. But it can't just be that. Because there's been really smart people who are not Christians, right? And Christianity is not a club for the intellectually brilliant. Christianity, God, wants your heart and your mind and all of the above. Okay, so the kind of arguments, why do people intellectually believe in God? Intellectually, you know, oftentimes it happens is our hearts get softened, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I am loved. And oh my gosh, like, I do, there's something deep inside of me that says I am not just a bunch of cells. There's something inside of me that craves meaning and truth, which are not biological categories. There is something deep inside of me deepest of all that craves love. And then they encounter, in Christianity, they encounter Christ in a way that says, this isn't just a fairy tale. And then they have questions. Okay, so why do we believe this? Here's, here's the kind of argument that great thinkers make for God's existence. It's a philosophical argument. It's not an empirical scientific one. Here's the distinction. <clears throat> so think of a triangle. How would you define a triangle? Three sides. Okay, it's three sides, but, but um, three sides of an enclosed plane, right? And I'm going to butcher this. Edward Fazer would be mad at me right now. He'd be sh ashamed. But a triangle, right, is a plane that has three sides, an enclosed plane that has three sides, whose angles add up to what? Thank you. I thought I was right about that. <laughs> 180 degrees, right? And the type of argument that people who believe in God, the great thinkers of history, most people don't, right? Most people aren't like, you know, I read Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas, and I realized that triangle is always this and never not this, and that's philosophical, so that God must exist. Most people aren't doing that. <laughs> right? The overwhelming majority of people in history are like, there's just the order of the universe, the moral code inside that is inscribed inside each one of us, the desire for love and for the infinite is more than enough for them, which is why you know, something like 98% of all humans in history are people who believe in God. But if you want to get really deep about it intellectually, philosophers like Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle, what they say is they say, look, 
the fact that a triangle is a, is a plane that has three sides whose angles add up to 180 degrees, that is not a scientific argument. By definition, it's not. It's a, it's a geometric, mathematical, and philosophical argument. And the types of arguments, the one I'm going to show you tonight, if I ever get to it, gosh, it's hard to get this progress sometimes. Um, they're not arguing like, we tested this, 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 and this. And what oftentimes happens is if you listen to new atheists today, they say, oh, Christians believe in a God of the gaps. We have this phenomenon that happens, and we can't explain it, so it must be God. Now, there are people who make those kinds of arguments, of course. It's a really bad argument. right? That's the kind of argument where you're like, hey, I know you've done this. You come home, and you're like, uh, here's a true story. When I was studying for priesthood, one of the guys went, got home one night, and he was exhausted, and he wanted a beer, and he had a little mini fridge, and he went to his fridge, and the beer was gone, and he was like, it was that guy. And I was like, you have no evidence that it was that guy, right? Your beer's gone, and you just substituted something to explain it. And a lot of atheists say that's what Christians do. Well, we don't know the answer to this, so therefore it must be God. What Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas and Leibniz, Plotinus, others, and the greatest thinkers on this subject, what they say is something like a triangle. And when you, when you know what a triangle is, it's not because you went out into nature, which is what science would do. What science does is it observes things, and it says, hey, we've observed, um, I don't know, we've observed uh, buffalo. And we've observed 899,000 buffalo. And buffalo have these characteristics, and they always look like this. And the problem with science is that the one question you can never answer is what if there's something I didn't observe? And so someday you run into a buffalo that has four horns. You're like, oh crap. <laughs> what the arguments philosophers make are that if you, if let's say we never found a triangle in nature, which if we really got deep tonight, we don't know that we actually ever have because a triangle is perfect. We don't know if we ever found a perfect triangle. Close enough, whatever. But, but the point is that a triangle, you could never observe a universe where there would be a plane that is enclosed on three sides. It would be impossible if this is not true. Or let's say like the number 1,000. This is another one. Like This is philosophy. Math is very related to philosophy. If you had the number, if, imagine there was not 1,000 of anything in the world. The concept of 1,000 would not change based on whether or not we had found 1,000 things or not. These are the kinds of arguments that intelligent thinkers, and so let's get to it, because I'm probably boring you to death right now. So what's the actual argument? There's a ton of them. And here's the one I want to get to. So if, if you want to read on this, every year I'm like, this subject is so incredibly rich and dense that we can't give it all the attention it deserves. Two books I recommend, the same guy, 
Um, this one's easier and it's funny. It's called um, The Last Superstition. And then the other one's called Five Proofs of the Existence of God. It is not easy reading, but it is very good. It's very good reading. Okay, so, quick story about him, about Edward Fazer. But let's pause because I've already gone a while without stopping. So, questions? Okay, um, one was from last week, and I actually mm -hmm. think this person might be here, so feel free to interrupt if you're that person. Um, but they were asking in regards to that superstition book. Yes. If you, if Father Brian tells us that we may need an understanding of philosophical principles as well as devoting serious study of the book to understand the answers to these questions, yep. am I correct in concluding that the great majority of Christians throughout history who were not educated or philosophers never answered these two questions and embraced the existence of God on faith alone? Great question. So, so if these are tough questions, can, I, can we say that people in history did never ask the first two questions? And I'm going to say, no, we can't say that. And here's why. So think of it this way. So um, I, I know to a certain degree that Columbus discovered the New World in 1492. Now, do I, do I know about Columbus? If, if we drove up to the University of Denver right here and we went to the history department, and talk to someone who's a historian, right? Like, they're going to have way more knowledge about it. And they're going to say, well, actually, he didn't discover the new world, the Vikings, it was there, and blah, 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 right? Now, what level of knowledge do you have to know to know something? And, and my point is this, is that there's tons of things that you and I, they make sense. We have a basic intuition of them and we trust authorities on the subject. And so we can have a great confidence about it. And so in history, the great, everyone believed in God. It made perfect natural sense. And I would say in the same way where I'm like, I don't think that I need to go get a doctorate in history to have a certain knowledge that, that Columbus sailed in 1492. Could I have a more certain knowledge? Yes. But, but there's something like that. Faith, and this is, we're, we're hitting all the big topics already way too early. <laughs> to live as a human being, you have to have a certain faith. Right? Like, I actually, for scientists, to know that light can sometimes act like a particle and sometimes like a wave, do I really know that? <laughs> no. But I'm pretty confident about it. There's a, it's a deep question, but yeah. So are you saying that uh, you've got to rely on other authorities? Yes. Well, if that's the case, uh, wouldn't a person say, well, I should believe what the Muslim authority tells me? Yes. Should I believe what the Jewish authority tells me? Yep. Yeah, and so it's a great question. So shouldn't I, if I had to rely on authority, what about when there's other authorities that contradict? So shouldn't I believe the Muslim authority and the Jewish authority? We're going to talk about that. And again, one of the big reasons I'm Catholic is because this, this faith where I trust is united to me. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in this class, and that's a big claim. That's a very big claim, I know that. But that's a claim I'm going to make, because it's a claim the Catholic Church makes. And I'm going to make that claim with you, that, we, that these things go together in the Catholic Church in a way they go together nowhere else. 
Um, okay, stuff it airs online. Um, is there anyone in person before I do the next one online? Yeah. Yeah. I've got one. So with following along with the, the faith, how bring back the last week, mm -hmm. you talked about how it's all going to be based in an event yep. rather than a media or yep. a system. Since we are so far removed from it, why does the event still have that same legitimacy because of the faith? Or why does it not turn into an yeah. idea since it was 2,000 years ago? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> Catholicism starts in an event, not a system. And so how does it still have relevance if it was that long ago? And this is a very deep question. We're going we're to dive into that a lot as time passes. But a simple question, like, like here's one I would say, is like, um, I don't know if this analogy will help. It helps me. So G.K. Chesterton, Catholic convert, brilliant British thinker. He was the biggest influence in many ways on C.S. Lewis and his conversion to Christianity. Um, but G.K. Chesterton says, Catholicism, he says, a lot like an ornate key. You know those movies where you see like this key that's like really complex, and you're like, that key looks really weird. And sometimes, we, and he says that we look at Catholicism, we're like, it's so weird. Like Father Brian's wearing black to go to church on Sundays. The bread becomes the flesh of God. A little kid, this is so funny. A little kid asked me this week, or they, she had, a kid asked their teacher, and they said, "Why is Father Brian drinking God's blood?" As like a preschool, and I'm like, I feel for that teacher. I'm like, how do you answer that? <laughs> like, like, sit down, we're doing letters now. <laughs> I don't know. And I answer that. But anyway, what Chesterton says, he says that key, he says, the reason a person becomes Catholic is not because of one reason. It's not because this one thing makes sense, but it's because everything comes together and makes sense of the world. And so Chesterton says the key might look weird, but if it opens the door, and the analogy he's making is that our, the reason that Catholicism looks complex and this event in the past and how can this bear on me today, we're going to talk about that specifically. The reason is because if, if the key is complex, it's because the lock is complex. It's because our lives are complex and the world is complex. And so the key should actually match in some ways to what the lock is. Um, we're going to talk about how can an event in the past have bearing on time now? That's a very important question. We're, we, we will talk about that, but I, tonight's not the night, though. What time is it, like 6.30? No, 7.15. Okay. So I was thinking we could cover the break at 7.20. Let's just do it now, because it's know. a good break time. Anybody have one last question for break? Yeah. Not a question, but a statement about yep. the church and science. Actually, the founder of Brooklyn Bank was a Catholic priest. Yep. Yeah, one of them, yeah. yeah. Can I ask one more question before the break? That no, I said one moment. more question. Okay, great. That was a statement. That was a statement, that was a statement yeah. You cheated. <laughs> I don't need your semantics. <laughs> um, okay. So saying that people have a hunger for something or somebody to love them, something or somebody, whatever, to love them, and that is God, seems like sort of a saddening reason to believe in Christianity. Yep. Like only sad people with nobody living for them or loving yep. them is, are seeking God. Is there a better reason? Great question. So, <clears throat> saying that people, one of the reasons believing God is love, and isn't it sad to say, I'm just, I know you guys heard it, but maybe they didn't, saying that a reason to believe in God is because I want to be loved, and I don't feel loved, 
isn't that a sad reason to believe in God? Is there a better reason? Yes, there is. And we're not, and, and that's not what I'm saying when I say we believe in love. What I'm going to say about that is that love, and we're, this is tied up in next class where we're going to talk about the soul. Can we know the soul exists? If you're a serious thinker, if you're what's called a materialist, a materialist, we don't mean someone who loves material things. We're not talking about Madonna. I am a material girl. We live in a material world. Right? Come on. Right? Um, I know, a lot of you are like, who's Madonna? Um, when, I, when I say materialist, I don't mean that. When I say materialist, in philosophy, a materialist is someone that says only things you can touch, only physical things exist. That's what a materialist is in philosophy. And what I'm going to show you is that you can have that that philosophy, a lot of people do. If you believe that philosophy, if you believe that we are that there's only what is physical is real, love cannot by definition exist. And smart philosophers who are materialists know this. And what they will tell you is that you think that love is a real thing. But really what that is is that's evolutionary biology and it's the drive to procreate. And we're going to talk about these kinds of things. We're going, to, we're going to get into modern neuroscience and like, is there such a thing as free will? We'll talk about that. <clears throat> but what I mean by, is there a better reason to believe in love or to believe in God than just love? I'm not saying we believe in God because it's a Hallmark card and like, oh, I'm so lonely and like, I'm looking for someone to love me. That's not what we're saying. I don't mean to caricature it, but a lot of people do caricature that. That is not what Christians believe. What Christians believe is that if God does not exist, and we're going to talk about a lot of these things, there's no actual reason to believe that you should live a moral life. Love is not a meaningful category if there is not a God. We'll talk about why that is. Um, and other similar things. Great. Break. Okay, five-minute break. See you all in a minute. Five minutes. Breaks are usually more fun because, like, in non-COVID times, we have, like, box wine. But, like, we're in COVID, so maybe stretch out, you know, maybe, like, a little gym class.
Also, if anybody ever wants, if you don't want to ask a question in person, there's a Q&A box over by Anya on the table, so you can write questions in there. It's so hard to Start back up again. So if you don't have wine. Okay, so here we go. So I want to give you tonight. I'm going to give you an argument for God's existence. Um, it's going to require you to think. And in, in RCIA, one of the things I'm going to ask from you. I'm going to try, over the course of however long you decide to stay, I'm going to try to speak to your heart, but probably more frequently, I'm going to try to speak to your mind. And I'm going to ask you, in the world we live in right now, I hear people say all the time, I feel this way, Father Brian, and that's not bad. That's, that's important. Your feelings matter. But I'm going to ask you to not just feel things. I'm going to ask you to think. Um. Catholicism, right, as I've said, tries to hold these things together. Um, so quick story. So this guy, as I've said, so he, sometimes there are thinkers in history that are very hard for us to read unless you have a degree in philosophy. And so Aristotle can be that way. St. Thomas Aquinas can be that way. Plotinus, um, all kinds of different thinkers. The reason this guy is helpful, he's still not an easy read if you don't have a background in philosophy, but he's easier and he's trying to take something that has been in Western civilization for a very long time 
And he's trying to say, people didn't just wish God existed. They didn't just feel good that God existed. You had unbelievably brilliant people who believed that God's existence was not probable. That's what science yields. Science yields probability. But philosophy, if it's done properly, can produce results that are irrefutable. And St. Thomas Aquinas, Aristotle, Augustine, Plotinus, Leibniz, many, many others believe that God's existence by these proofs was not shown to be probable. It was shown to be certain. Um, so I want to give you one of those tonight. But the quick story is that, so this guy, Ed Fazer, went through RCIA, was not Catholic, what happened was he was a philosophy professor and he was teaching courses and if you ever took a philosophy course in college, you might have been bored out of your mind, right? And that's what he found, is he found his students were bored out of their mind. And one of the units he had with undergraduate students was about whether or not God existed. And he was an atheist. And his, his students were all like, yep, yeah, there's no God, and they were bored. And I've heard him talk about this. You can look this up on YouTube. But what he did is he said, okay, I want to make this debating class a little more interesting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and look at the people who were serious thinkers who thought that God's existence was certain. And he, again, he was an atheist, didn't believe it. But he just went back and he said, okay, I'm just going to dig a little deeper to make class more interesting. And what happened is he realized that with thinkers, especially St. Thomas Aquinas, you'll hear about him from me a fair amount. For Catholics, um, and for a lot of people, we basically think St. Thomas Aquinas is probably the smartest person I've ever lived. Um, how do you know that? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm probably about fourth. You know? <laughs> no, there's no way of really knowing that. But he's, he is not like, we're not talking about an obscure thinker here. We're talking someone who's at least, for many of us, we believe at least, and we would say more so in the category of, of Einstein. I would put Aquinas above that, but how do you know that? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so what he did, Ed Fazer went back and he said, okay, I'm going to go review these things, and I'm going to go take them more seriously. And what he says, and he, when you watch him online talk about this, is he says people don't, these philosophy professors, is what they do is they assume already that Aquinas has been refuted and Aristotle has been refuted, and they just pass over them very cursorily. How do you say that? In a cursory manner. And they don't actually wrestle very seriously with it. And he said, when I did it, he was like, it scared the heck out of me. Because he came to a place where he said, these are incredibly serious arguments. This is not my pastor when I was a kid was a jerk, uh, so therefore God doesn't exist. Or um, the world's a nice place, and so I have to believe in heaven. These are like, and what Phaser would say, and what many of us would say, is that the arguments that St. Thomas Aquinas presents for God's existence have never been refuted. And some of us would say, the reason they haven't been refuted, and it's disputed, there are people who think they have, um, but they're wrong, 
Um, <laughs> the reason they haven't been, been refuted is because you might as well say a triangle can't, you can have a triangle that does not have three sides. They're the type of arguments that are very similar to that. So here's the one I want to, I want to present to you. It's, this is Aristotle. St. Thomas Aquinas takes this up in a more serious way. But you don't have to look through this. I'm going to leave you to kind of take that on your own if you want to go deeper. Um, but here's the basic argument for it. And in different ways, this, this is what Aristotle calls the unmoved mover. But basically, the argument I want to make, I want to go to a little one that's very similar but slightly different. And it's called the argument from contingency. Now, the argument from contingency, and I'll tell you what that means in a second. Um, the argument from contingency is the most serious argument for God's existence that has ever been made. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages about it, showing how serious it is and how irrefutable it is. So, one kind of just thing that is helpful to know. So, the new atheists, you guys know who the new atheists are? New atheists like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, um, Chris Hitchens, Daniel Dennett. Um, Daniel Dennett is one of them who's not as well known as the other ones. But Daniel Dennett is actually, he's actually the, of the new atheists, he's the one who has the most knowledge of philosophy. Sam Harris has a little bit. He did his undergrad in philosophy before he went to neuroscience and graduate school. Daniel Dennett actually has real working knowledge of philosophy and the things we're talking about. Daniel Dennett wrote like a 500-page book on why God doesn't exist. This is the most serious argument in the history of the world, not even close, but by far. How much attention do you think he gives to that argument in his book? I know it's not much because I'm saying it the way I'm saying it. In a, in a, I think it's a 500-page book. In a 500-page book, and again, the most serious argument in the history of the world for God's existence, he devotes one paragraph. What happens in our modern world a lot is people, they actually don't engage the arguments. They pass over them. Um, <clears throat> so what's the argument? Here's what contingency is. Contingency, and you're going to think you know this one, but I'm going to give you some nuances that show you that it's much more nuanced than you think it is. Contingency says that every being we know of, the word contingent means um, not necessary. So think of it this way is that to explain, if, if you said, how, do we, how can we explain that I exist? How do we explain that? There's lots of ways you can explain it, right? Like, okay, you go to my parents. Well, you know, when a man loves a woman, you know, they have a little priest. Um, that's what happens, right? You explain it that way. And that is one part of the explanation. But there are other parts, right? Like, for me to exist, like, there has to be a certain gravitational field. And again, if you're a scientist, you can explain this better than me where like for matter to hold together 
There have to be certain physical conditions in the universe. And for me to exist, that has to be present. Uh, for me to exist, there has to be oxygen. Right? And we could go through a hundred different things. And what that means is that my existence is not necessary. There are other, to, in order to explain that I exist, there have to be other things that exist. My existence is dependent on other things. Does that make sense? Um, and so with St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm not going to go into the really technical part of this because it would take a semester. Aquinas is going to use categories like act and potency, and especially for this one, if you're a philosophy person, he's going to talk about essence and existence. Um, if you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to talk to you about it, but that's going to be over most people's heads. Um, but here's a way to understand this. We have never encountered a being that is not contingent. We have never, ever encountered something that is a necessary being. Everything that we have physically ever encountered in this universe cannot explain its own existence. It has to be dependent on something else. Now I know, like, now here's where most people's minds go, and I want to show you why this is not what Aquinas' argument is. It's a caricature. So what most people say is they say, oh, the argument for God's existence says, okay, here's FB, and then his parents are Teresa and Ed, and then we'll just trace my dad, his parents are Tyne. Oh, that's funny. Tyne Ethel. Oops, me. Sometimes I've never realized that. Um, and you go on and on and on. And you say, well, backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards and God. That's not the argument. And in fact, St. Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle both, they said, if you just trace things back in time, they actually believe it's possible that could go on forever. They do not make that argument. Most Christians will say that's the argument for God's existence. It's not what the great thinkers believe proves God's existence. They don't. It's a little more subtle than that. And here's what it is. This is what we would call chronological. Right? It goes back in time. Chronos is the Greek word for time, one of the Greek words for time. It's not a, it's, it is not an argument for chronology. This happened before this. This happened before this. The Big Bang happened. Well, what was before the Big Bang? God. Which, by the way, I don't think that works as a proof of God's existence, but I do want to make one sidebar here. It's a way better argument, way better than what the new atheists are claiming. And here's why. <clears throat> the, and gosh, I wish, I wish we had like a year together, right? We could do it. <laughs> I'm in. You are. Um, what the New Atheists will say is they'll say, look, that's just a God of the gaps. We don't know it. There must not be a God. Um, because you know, what you know what there probably are? There are probably these things called multiverses. Has anybody heard of these? It's all over, huh? Yeah, multiverses. And this is a 
here's you know what this is is like it's theoretically I suppose it's possible, but what this is, and I, I'll just argue this is a little bit of a caricature, so take it with a grain of salt. This is someone who really, 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 really does not want to believe God exists. The the Big Bang when and I don't want to even get into this too much is what happens in our CIA and this is why I'm always behind. Um, the Big Bang when it happened, cosmologists talk about fine tuning. What that means is that the atom that exploded that created our universe, for it to create a universe where things are possible like matter, we're not talking about life even, not matter, that, the, the, what that atom was composed of had to be fine-tuned. We call this fine-tuning. By the way, this does not prove God's existence, and it's not the Christian argument for it, but it's interesting. Um, that had to be fine-tuned to such a degree that the numbers are literally astronomical. There's, a, there's an astronomer named Sir Fred Hoyle who won the Nobel Prize in astronomy. And he didn't become a Christian, but he, be, he went from atheism to believing in God because the number around this was so unbelievably extreme. The odds are like, you know, one in, you know, 10 times four to the 300th power. It's, it's something so insane that he was like, and his analogy, he says this. His analogy, I should have brought this tonight. I usually do. His analogy says the odds of a single bacteria cell coming into existence from the Big Bang are about the same odds as a tornado going through a junkyard and assembling a fully functioning 747 jet. It's about the same. That's not why Christians believe in God. And it's not why smart people believe in God, but isn't that interesting? And then what people will say, a lot of like really smart, really smart atheists, what they say is, well, there's an infinite number of universes. There must be. Do you know how much evidence there is for other universes? Precisely zero. It's possible. We'd have no way of knowing, but there's precisely zero evidence. And they say, well, it must be that there's an infinite number of universes, and when you have an infinite number of monkeys typing out an infinite number of typewriters, at some point they're going to type out Hamlet. Right? And that's kind of the argument. Um, okay, but that's not why we believe what we believe. So here's Aquinas' argument. We've never encountered a being that explains itself. We've never encountered a being that says it's not dependent on something else for its existence. And what Aquinas' argument is that doesn't go back in time, it's right now. So look at your sheet now. So if you look at number four, this is very similar. It's not quite exactly, but it's close enough that we can, we can kind of cheat a little bit here. So he's talking about um, a linear series would be, well, how do we explain Father Brian? Well, Ed and Teresa loved each other, so they had a priest. And Ty and Ethel loved each other, so they had you know, a little financial advisor. It's not going backwards in time. That's a linear series, which is what number four starts with. That's a linear series. Aristotle's proof, however, is not chronological. Neither is St. Thomas Aquinas's. It's not going backwards in time. It is hierarchical. The potential of the cup, so he's talking about a coffee cup. If you have a coffee cup on your table, the potential of the cup to be three feet off, it's supposed to say, off the ground, is actualized by the desk. How can we explain this coffee cup is sitting three feet off the ground? Well, because it's sitting on a desk. 
the potential of the desk to hold the coffee cup. What's the, well, okay, so the coffee cup is on the desk. But the desk, we can't explain a desk by itself just floating three feet above the ground. How is the desk holding up the coffee cup? Well, the potential of the desk to hold the cup is actualized by the floor. And the floor, well, how does the floor hold up the desk? Well, because it's resting on a foundation. Well, how is the foundation holding up the floor? Well, the foundation is resting on earth. And so actually, if you want to explain why a coffee cup, when you sit down, you know, in the morning, and you're like, oh, there is a God, because there's coffee, right? That's what I do every day. Um, how is that coffee cup sitting there? Well, if you want to think deeply about it, it's because the cup's on a table, the table's being held up by the floor, the floor is being held up by the foundation, and the foundation of your house is being held up by the earth. And that is notice, very subtle, but very important. That's not backwards in time. It's all happening at one precise moment. Does that make sense? Similarly, the potential of the lamp, and he's talking about a ceiling lamp here, like a chandelier, to be seven feet from the ground is actualized by the chain. And the potential of the chain to hold the lamp aloft is actualized by the fixture, fixture screwed into the ceiling. And what makes these series hierarchical, which does not equal linear chronological, is not that they are simultaneous, but that there is a certain sort of dependence on the, of the latter members on the earlier ones. So uh, if, if we have a, a light hanging from the ceiling, that light cannot hang from the ceiling unless it's hanging on the chain link above it. And that chain link above it can't explain itself. It can only explain itself because it's hanging from one above it. Does that make sense? That's what a hierarchical series is. It's dependent on one thing. A linear series, and how are we doing on time? 7.43. Awesome. We've got 45 minutes. Um, that's a joke I'll make like every single night, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, so if that chain right, is hanging, right, and the difference, the really important difference here is that in time, if Ed has Brian, and this is, that's a short chain because I don't have any kids, um, but Ty has Ed. The difference is, is that when my grandfather, Grandpa Ty, when he passed away when I was a little boy, my dad did not, or my, yeah, my dad, who's Ed? That's right, my dad. <laughs> um, my dad was not unable to reproduce. That's a linear series, not hierarchical. So if, if, if this link in the, in the chain of biology is cut off, it's okay. My dad can still have children. And if my dad dies, I'm not going to have children because there's another reason for that. We'll get to that down the line in class. Um, it's not because I'm balding. Um, I could potentially still have children. So the dependence, right, my, my father's ability to procreate is not in the moment dependent on my grandfather. Does that make sense? 
but the chain's different. If this link breaks, these links break. They cannot, they are dependent on the other ones. Okay? And here's the basic point. That cannot go on forever. It is impossible. Here's another way to think of it. If I have a mop, if I'm mopping the floor down here, and you, and you can't see me, you're behind a door or something, and you just see a mop moving, that mop is a little bit like this chain, right? You could have this handle. There's the mop. Perfect drawing. Um, no matter how long this goes, no matter how far that handle goes, you don't know that like there's a person behind it. There might be something else. But what you do know is that that handle does not have the power of moving. And so there must be something that has the power of movement somewhere. And the difference, again, to go back to this is super important, because people really miss this, and it's a very important philosophical point. The difference is that my father's power to have children is not like the broom and the mop. My dad's power to do that is not dependent on something behind him. He actually has that power in his own being. Does that make sense? The broom, though, can't move itself. At some point, there must be something that is moving the broom. There has to be something. Right? Um, the sword and back to your quote sheet. And let's look at number five. A hierarchical series, right? Remember, hierarchy means dependence. A hierarchical series must, must terminate, logically, must terminate in a first member or cause. Since the desk, the floor, and the foundation have no power of their own to hold the cup aloft, the series could not exist in the first place unless there were something that did have the power to hold up these intermediaries. And the cup through them without having to be held up itself, right? The cup can't hold the coffee without being held up by the desk, without being held up by the floor, etc., etc. This sort of first cause that a hierarchical series must have, then, is a cause that has the power to produce its effects in a non-derivative and non-instrumental way. Okay, so here's the question you should be asking. Here's the question, so I think it's David Hume asked this. And he thought he had got Aquinas and Aristotle, and he thought he had had him. And he, when he thought Aquinas and Aristotle, he caricatures it this way, is he says, Okay, so this argument from contingency says that everything must have a cause. And if that's true, if it goes, if, if 
the light fixture is being held by the chain, is being held by the rafters of the ceiling, which is being held by the um, frame of the house, which is being held by the foundation, being held by the earth. If everything has to have a cause, the natural question is, yeah, or in our argument about God, what caused God? Right? Have you heard this? This means yes. This means no. If you're totally confused, thank you. You two just went way up on my list. Okay. Um, then the question that people think refutes this is, well, then what caused God? And Aquinas and Aristotle and all the other great thinkers on the subject, but they all say, they never say everything has a cause. If you search all the works of Aristotle and all the works of St. Thomas Aquinas, they will never once say that. What they will say is they will say that everything that is contingent, everything that is contingent, must have a cause. But for anything to exist, there must be something necessary. So let's think about this one last time. And these are, some of you probably, every year we have a couple people in class who study philosophy, and you have like 10 questions now, which I love. For most of you, you probably don't. You're probably like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and it's, it's always hard every year. I'm like, how do I balance like talking to each of those groups? Um, let's walk through this one more time. If you have really deep philosophy questions, I would really encourage you to read this guy. Um, really good stuff. But anyway, so let's walk through that one more time. If you're thinking deeply about this, if you walk into, if we went upstairs in church, and there's our hanging lights that hang from the rafters, and if I ask you and I say, what's holding up that light? Right, and again, this is not backwards in time. This is right now. And in the analogy, what we're saying is that everything that exists, me right now, I can't exist without 50 other things. But not a single one of those things can exist without another 50 other things. But that can't go on forever. If nothing can exist without other things, there has to be a ground. There has to be something that does not need other things to exist. Aristotle again, St. Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, Plotinus, Leibniz, hundreds of other thinkers, those are the biggest ones. Hundreds of other thinkers believe that this argument is irrefutable. That, that you could sooner say a triangle can be a circle than you could say that this is false. Um, so, if we look at that, that fixture hanging from the ceiling, and I say, how is that holding up? And you say, well, Father Brian, it's obvious. It's that chain that's running to the rafter. Okay, but that chain does not have the power to stay suspended in midair. So how is that chain, if it did, we would be done, right? If a chain did have that power, which is what we're seeing about linear cause, right? A linear cause, like, 
my father has that power in himself to beget priests. Um, now, children, whatever. Um, but that, that chain doesn't. So we have to keep going. We say, well, how's the chain hanging there? And we say, well, it's hanging from that rafter. But that rafter, we can't explain that that rafter is hanging there by itself. I, I've never seen a rafter just floating through the air. How's that rafter hanging? Well, well it's resting on right, the, the walls of the church. Well, how are the walls of the church there? Well, they're being supported by the foundation. And you could actually push the thing with you. Back further and further and further, we'd go on forever. You could, you could go on forever with these things. And the point is, is that, but to cut it off and make it a little more simple, if the earth wasn't stable, that light couldn't hang. And so the argument is not, well, there's something missing, so therefore it must be God. That's not the argument. The argument is that they're necessarily just the way that two and two has to be four, there necessarily has to be a being that is not contingent. Um, from that, and again, like, this is not from the faint of, for the faint of heart. Most people, you know, my grandmother, Grandma Jane, who I think is a saint, she's hopefully in heaven now, Grandma Jane could not have explained the first piece of this to you. But she had a, a real knowledge and a, and a very secure faith that God is real. It wasn't just a good feeling, but it can be backed up the deeper you go. Um, if you want to go deeper to this, once you get to that point, once you get to a place of a necessary being, the different concepts about, well, what does that mean? Right? We're not yet at the Christian God, but we, we can get to a place where this God has to be omnipotent, um, has to be omniscient. Omnipotent means, right, uh, potency is power in Latin. Um, he has to be omniscient. Shire in Latin is to know, all-knowing. And maybe one thing I should just say now before I forget to do it, this is a small point, Christians don't believe God is male until Jesus becomes a human being. We say he and we talk about God as father, um, but if that's a turnoff to anybody, the church doesn't believe that God is a, is a male. We believe God is beyond gender. That he contains the perfection of, of femininity and masculinity and times infinity. We use that language because it's what Jesus uses in the New Testament. But we don't believe God the Father is literally a human male. We don't believe that. Okay, um, dare I ask, are there any questions? <laughs> yes. So, uh, I can understand the, uh, the logic of uh, there's a, a creator of God. Uh, and setting aside where a God would come from, where the creator comes from. So, how, how do the atheists respond? Even if they say multiverse, where does the multiverse come from? And they're afraid. That's, and that's exactly the reputation of the multiverse thing. Is it even if, and Daniel, or not Daniel, but um, Ed Fazer talks about this. Let's just say that Stephen Hawking is right. And there are, there are a billion multiverses. And Stephen Hawking believed that the universes could pop in and out of existence um, for really no reason. Which I'm like, I just, I, I always kind of laugh because I'm like, 
people say that Christians are just kind of have their eyes closed and don't believe anything. And I'm like, there's good reasons to believe God exists. There's profoundly good reasons. But we're supposed to believe, rather than that God exists, that a universe popped into existence for no reason whatsoever. And you and I are sitting here tonight talking about this. Like, to me, like, I'm willing to engage that, but it seems a, it seems a little bit like the pot calling the kettle black to say, no, believe me, like, any a universe can pop in and out of existence for no reason whatsoever. Okay, but even if there is, you hit the exact right question. Even if they did, Aquinas' argument is not refuted. It is not refuted. At some point, there must be, and you could call it a different name. Maybe you don't want to use, maybe you don't want to use it God. Maybe you don't want to do that. When Aquinas makes this argument, what he finishes with every proof with is he says, this thing that must necessarily, not contingently exist, could not exist, might go out of existence. This thing, all human beings give the title God. Um, and so, so again, science, and this, this is a philosophical argument, and I know like, probably like most of you are like, can we please get to the next topic? Can we please, dear God? We'll get there. This is important to just hit. Um, if there are a billion universes, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Stephen Hawking, who is way smarter than me, may he rest in peace. There are other astrophysicists, other philosophers who think there might be a billion multiverses. Maybe they're an infinite number. Even if there's an infinite number of multiverses, Aristotle and St. Thomas's Aquinas' argument is every bit as valid in that reality as if there are only if there's only one. It cannot explain why something exists rather than nothing. It's very, very difficult to refute this. Yeah. I may be totally missing something here. Mm -hmm. I understand the analogy. Uh -huh. Okay, so we end up at Earth. Yep. But the Earth can't explain itself either. Is Earth what? The Earth can't explain itself either. They, so where, where does God come in? I mean, again, so the point, so another way of seeing it, all we're seeing is that, that that first thing that starts it, there has to be something that doesn't need that power of existence given to it by something else. There has to be something, and that's what we mean by a necessary being. Mm -hmm. And and so so if our existence is like that chain. I, it's possible for me not to exist. I might not have ever existed. It's possible for me not to exist tomorrow. Um, not, but the point is that there has to be something that's not like that. Very similar, another analogy philosophers will use with this to help make it accessible is, right, like you get stuck on Santa Fe or Calamath and you hit when the train goes by, which always happens to me. <laughs> I'm always late and I'm like, oh, dang it, Lord, if you love me, right? But anyway, but when you see that going by, the locomotives, or not locomotives, the, the train cars that are just like coal cars, we know that they do not have the power of motion. If you just see a coal car, right, this one is connected to the next one, and on and on and on. If it's moving, if it weren't moving, this argument doesn't work. But if it's moving, and we know this thing cannot move, that cannot move by itself. That can't move by itself. If all the things can't move by themselves, we know something's moving them. But aren't we still believing in blind faith? Because what is that? No, we're believing in logic. But by definition, something that cannot move. Well, right, but, but, but 
but how does God come in? I mean, aren't we still believing in blind faith that we're going to believe that God mm -hmm. is the reason why we have the earth? To hold up the foundation, to hold up the walls, to hold up. So I think I think where you're, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think where you might be making a jump here is like it's this God who's doing it. But we're saying just take the word God out of it. Okay. We're saying there has to be a being that is not dependent for its existence on something else. Okay. And and again, like Aquinas and Aristotle, all these thinkers, and many 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 great thinkers today. So you might as well believe that a circle can be square as to deny this. And so we're not at the point where we're saying it's Jesus. We're not at a point where we're saying it's the Christian God. We're just saying there has to be, there must be some type of being that's pulling the cars. And that's not a God of the gaps, right? This is a, a logical argument that it's, it's, again, it's somewhere like a triangle on the two sides. So you're speaking more in, in broad terms. Yep, we're not I mean, yet in the Christian like God. Like when you said, I'm going to say that God exists. Yep. But you really, God, you're using that in more of a broad terms. And I absolutely am. We're not yet. This is so. So, tons of non-Christians have come to this conclusion in history. Tons. And and in in Western civilization, oftentimes what I just explained to you is referred to as the God of the philosophers. We're not talking about Jews yet. We're not talking about Christians. All we're talking about is just logically, can we come to a place where this makes sense? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. What's that mean? 802. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Good. No class next week because he went over time. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> I know this is dense stuff, and I always, every time we do this, I'm like, I know there's probably like five or six of you right now who are like, can I get more, like, like you just opened up like 10 more questions for me, and that's great, I love that. A lot of you are like, can we move on? We're gonna move on. If you have questions about these things, come talk to me, and we'll, we'll talk more about this. Um, but these are, this is really serious stuff. These aren't, this is really serious stuff, folks. Um, <laughs> We're going to do that. We're going to talk about more things. Um, so next week, we'll move on. Um, if you have questions, remember, there's a Q&A box. We didn't get to that tonight. We're going to try more and more to pull out a few of those every night. Um, and we're going to keep on our path, and we're going to talk about, we'll probably pick up a little bit more of this next time, and we'll kind of keep furthering the conversation. Okay? I'm going to pray. If, if you want to join, feel free. If you're not there, it's fine. Uh, but we'll just close with our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you guys. You are all so awesome for humoring me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll see you next time. That would help us. You can take a chair. Yeah. Thank you.